Good evening once again. We are going to look into the idea of balance in the Christian life this evening. Balance in the Christian life. We mention balance not in the situation where a person works in a church service into his life and calls that balance, but rather balance in the Christian's life, the one who seeks to grow and to um, turn away from things uh, that are not good and continue to grow in knowledge and in faith and in patience uh, as a Christian. So it's very important for us to understand a balance in the Christian life. Another way of saying this is we are seeking to be the person deep down that we know we ought to be. The good thing about being a Christian is that God doesn't give up on us and he allows us to grow. And he has patience with us as we grow. Peter says in 2 Peter 3 and 18, as you know, that we ought to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And there are a couple passages that bring out balance. Uh, For example, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, uh, Paul says we ought to have in our hearts power, love, and a sound mind. Power coming from the gospel. And then in addition to that, love and a sound mind. It reminds us of Paul's statement in Ephesians 4 and verse 15, that we ought to be speaking the truth in love. So we're seeking balance in our lives as we seek to follow our Lord. And so I want to together... This evening, just for a few minutes, I want us to notice several statements that will help us define uh, that balance. The first statement is being in the world, but not of the world. You can check John 17 and verse 15 and notice that Jesus said to his disciples, I don't want to take you out of this world. In fact, he was praying to his father for his disciples. I don't want to take them out of this world, Lord. He said to his father, but I want you to please keep them from the evil one. And so that's our, our wish as well. That's, that's God's desire for us as well, that we wouldn't be out of this world. We wouldn't be taken from this world. He wants us to be in this world, but he wants us to be protected uh, from Satan, uh, the evil one. So there's a need for us to be both in the world and yet not of uh, the world. We must be in the world because we, we seek to influence people for Christ. And we seek to operate in this world as we must as, uh, in order to live, in order to um, make a living, in order to survive, in order to relate uh, to people at school, work, and family members, and in order to communicate, and in order to connect so that we can shine brightly in this world. So we must be in the world, but we can never be of the world. Of the world. If we ever had an attachment to the world, God wants us to lose that attachment. Notice with me in Colossians 3 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ, and you know what that means, don't you? All of you are understand that that means uh, if you have become a Christian, when we are baptized into Christ, Romans 6, verse 4. We are raised to walk in newness of life. If you then have been risen with Christ, Colossians 3 and verse 1, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. 
And then set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. There are sometimes temptations, evidently, uh, to post things on, on Facebook. And I think we need to continue to, to look at that and remind ourselves, whatever I post publicly, uh, is it of the, this world or is it of the world to come? We want to lose our attachment for this world. Why would we want to be attached to this world when all that is in heaven is available to us if we seek the will of the Father? Uh, The Father himself is in heaven, Matthew 6 and verse 9. Jesus teaching us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. The Father is in heaven. We read from Philippians 3 and verse 20 that Jesus our Savior is in heaven. Also from that verse in Philippians 3.20, we learn that our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, We learn from Jesus in Matthew 5 and 10 through 12 that our reward is in heaven. Uh, They persecuted the prophets. If they persecute you, then you need to remember that your reward is in heaven. According to Jesus again in Matthew 6 and verse 19, our treasures are laid up in heaven. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, uh, the angels are in heaven. In Colossians 1 and verse 5, we read that our hope uh, is in heaven. And on and on we could go to label things. You know, 1 Peter 1 verse 4 says our inheritance is in heaven. And so with all that's in heaven, why would we ever want to be attached uh, to this world? So it's important to be in the world, yes, but never to be of the world. Jesus led John to write in 1 John, 1 and verse, 1 John 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these things are of the world, and they're not of, of the Father. So in the world, but not of the world. Notice this statement also in the second place. We seek to be humble yet confident. That brings balance uh, to the Christian life, to seek to be humble and yet uh, confident. It's not always easy to do, but it's something that we seek uh, to do. We spent a good deal of time uh, two or three Sundays ago talking about humility, being clothed with humility. Let's remind ourselves, you know, the writer in Proverbs 6 and verse 17 says, God hates a proud look, a proud look. And there are a few indications when we can tell if we are becoming prideful. The Satan is indeed, he's very treacherous, and he is insidious, and he can sneak into the hearts of anyone, including me, you, anybody. And so we need to be careful about pride. And so how can we tell if pride is sneaking into our hearts? Well, first... If we think that we are something, that we are something to be admired by the world, then pride is sneaking into our hearts. Paul warns about this in Romans 12 and verse 3, that a man ought not to think more highly of himself than what he ought to think. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, speaking of sowing the seed of the gospel, Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered and God gave the increase. He that 
He that plants is nothing, and he, he that sows is nothing, and he that waters is nothing, but God gave the increase. And this is where we need to be in our thinking, in our habits, okay, in our teaching of our children. Are we planting the seed of the gospel, and are we coming around and sowing that seed? And as we do so, we need to remind ourselves that none of us, we're nothing. We're nothing. Especially compared to God, we're nothing. And so if we ever think that we're something to be admired, then we need to watch out uh, for pride. And then also, if, if it ever is the case that we're trying to handle our problems on our own, then pride is sneaking into our hearts. How many times do we wait to pray to God when we feel like that that we can't handle this problem, when in fact we should have been taking everything to the Lord, every single thing to the Lord. Whenever we think that we can handle our problems the way we want to handle them apart from God, then pride is sneaking to our hearts. And then if we lose the ability to sympathize, then pride may be sneaking into our hearts. Let me refer you back to Daniel chapter 5 and Daniel's message to Belshazzar who is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, son. There's been a handwriting on the wall. That's a tremendous story in itself to read. But Daniel gets down and he said, I'm going to interpret this handwriting and, and I don't need any money from you guys. I'm just going to tell you what it says because the Lord has taught me uh, to do this. And he begins to talk about the pride of Nebuchadnezzar and how God had brought him low. And when he is talking about that in Daniel 5, verse 20, he said, Your father, until God brought him low, he said, Your father, Nebuchadnezzar, he had a hardened, he lifted up himself, and then he had a hardened spirit, a hardened spirit. And so Daniel's message to Nebuchadnezzar's son was, You are of the same condition your father was in. Before he was brought low. And we need to of course watch that. And if ever we stray from having sympathy and compassion toward others. Then we need to quickly pray to God to forgive us. And so notice this. That it's important in a balanced life. That we be humble yet confident. Yet confident. We must be confident as Christians because uh, the Lord is on our side, according to Romans 8 uh, 31 and, and 32. The Lord is on our side. If the Lord be for us, then, then who can be against us? We must be confident. Proverbs 28 and verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we have to be bold. Because the Lord has put upon us, again, going back to 1 Corinthians 3, we're talking just a moment ago, the Lord has put on us the idea of planting the seed of the gospel and then watering it. And we've got to be busy about that. And that keeps us away from a lot of uh, things. And so we must be bold. This morning I mentioned football. There are a lot of lessons to learn from football. Time is one of those. Time is one of those. Teamwork also is a big part of football. Communication 
is a big part. And these are things the church can, can learn. Teamwork, communication. In football, you are taught to leave your efforts on the field. Give it all. Give it all. Leave it all on the field. But here's something about football. There's an offense and a defense. And the church sits in a similar situation. We defend the faith against false ideals. Paul said in Philippians 1 and 16, he was set for the defense of the gospel. We must do that. But that's not all of our duty before the Lord. We also have the responsibility of impacting the world and finding ways to impact the world. Taking that seed of the gospel and and bringing it to the lives of others. And it has, it has to be forward progress. It, it has to be something intentional. And we have to find ways. That's what they did in the early days. That's why you see Paul going into the synagogues, as you read in the book of Acts. You see Peter and John, as long as they were allowed, they would go into different parts of the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem. What are they doing? They're not there to endorse continuous Jewish worship. Rather, they're there to teach the gospel, and they they made great inroads in doing that. Paul, in Acts 17, he went where the people were meeting there in Athens in the marketplaces and, and the other religious centers. Now, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what are we doing to get the gospel into the communities, to be on offense? You know, where are our religious centers in our communities, it's hard, it's hard to find them, isn't it? It's hard to find them in our day. Is, are there places for us to go where we can just have an open discussion of Scripture and religion? You might be able to go online and do some of that, but I'm talking about physical places where you have personal contact with people. It's hard to find those places. So the church of our day has to create uh, events in order to try to meet people and reach people uh, in the community and in the world. And that's one reason we have things like the Fall Festival that's coming up here at the end of October. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to meet people and see people and give them a warm invitation uh, to church. We have to be on the offensive. That's why we have gospel meetings. That's why we have special days. And we do whatever we can. That's, that's exactly why uh, we had Don Blackwell uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's because he had a unique situation. And he had a tremendous, powerful way of presenting the gospel. We wanted anyone who, who might, could, uh, possibly come and, and, or maybe even uh, listen in online to hear him preach Uh, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and to see his example follow up uh, those lessons as well. And so to be balanced, we must be in the world but not of the world. And then also we must be humble yet confident and assertive. Assertive. The third statement is this. To... Have maturity without perfection. That's easy on the tail end of that because none of us are perfect. You're looking at someone who is far from perfect. 
And if I had to guess, if you went home and looked in your mirror, you'd say the same thing about yourself. Now, the church is perfect on the divine side. The one who set up the church through his word, he is perfect. Jesus lived the perfect life. He is, he is holy. He's far above any of us. But on the human side of the church, there's no one perfect. No one. We all make mistakes. That's why there needs to be patience with each other. Now, how can we strive for maturity without communicating that we are somehow a notch above or we're somehow seeking and thinking that we're, we're perfect? Okay. It's all about the goals that you have. Let me mention five marks of maturity. Five marks of maturity. And this is how we kind of blend the situation of seeking to be mature in Christ without trying to affirm any sort of perfection. First of all, a mature person, he has the ability to love his enemies. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43 to 47, if you love those that love you, then of course, what have you done? Even the heathen, even the Gentiles do that. But if you love someone who has hurt you, now here we go. Now you're on your way to maturity. And this is what we want to seek for. So one mark of maturity is to be able to love uh, your enemies. A second mark of maturity is to be able to eat meat. Eat meat. We're talking about, of course, the meat of the word. Paul describes it this way. Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14, and also uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. He speaks of the Corinthians there in 1 Corinthians 3 of not being able uh, to handle uh, the meat of the word because they were so carnal and they were so divisive and they were so petty uh, within themselves. And so he was helping them to overcome these things so that they could learn the word of God well enough to communicate it very well with other people. Souls are at stake and so we must be able to eat meat, to eat the word of God, to be able to know it in such a way uh, to communicate it uh, almost like it's second nature. A third mark of maturity is the ability to to discern between good and evil. Isaiah warns a long time ago in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, he said, Woe to them that that call good evil and evil good. You know, isn't that our world today? Call good evil and evil good. They put light for darkness and darkness for light. They put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. Woe unto them. A mature person is able to discern because he does have a handle on God's word. He's able to, to discern between good and evil. You have to feel sorry for someone who thinks they've got to take their clothes off in order to think that they are something to be seen by others. It's a, it's a real shame. That is not a mark of maturity at all. And so we've got to be able to discern between good and evil. And then a fourth mark of maturity is the ability to control your tongue. The ability to control your tongue. 
And of course, James talks a lot about this in James 3. He says, one who is able to control his tongue is also able to control his whole body. Just like bits in a horse's mouth, able to control the horse, and so the tongue. Now, the tongue can no man tame, he says. And all of us will make mistakes with the tongue from here and there. But by and large, you know, the thing about a Christian is, it's not that he will never make or he or she will never make a mistake. It's that sin will not rule in their lives. will not rule in their lives. And that's the idea that James is getting over is to so control your tongue that it, it doesn't rule uh, your life and you can shine your light uh, for Jesus. I think it was Tom Holland that, that once said that he was a big talker and there are two reasons that he's a big talker. Reason number one is because his daddy was and reason number two is because his mother was a woman. That's how he said I heard him say that one time. Well, nonetheless, he was illustrating something that's very important. And the ability to control our tongues. Okay, and then to go to God and pray when we fail and get back uh, into um, his word once again uh, is very important. So a mark of maturity is the ability to control your tongues. And then... The fifth mark is to know your limitations. Know your limitations. None of us have arrived uh, spiritually. I don't know if anyone here this evening who would step forward and say, well, I am now the one you ought to follow as far as uh, your life as a Christian goes. I don't think... And Paul didn't feel that way if you look at his words there in Philippians 3, 12 and 13. He said, it's not that I have yet laid hold. Not at all, he said. He says, I keep striving. And I think we can relate to Paul very well. All of us can. And we must understand that about each other. None of us have arrived uh, spiritually. As long as we have breath on this earth, we will seek to keep growing before God. And that's what Paul was saying. And it's really good to hear Paul say these kinds of things because it encourages us to not give up. And so notice these five marks of maturity. And so there is a way, there is a way of seeking to grow to a mature Christian without communicating perfection. Without communicating perfection. If anybody ever asks, well, what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? We're all sinners. Then perhaps... We can point them to goals like this because these are the kinds of goals that, that a Christian has. And then the next statement is um, we want to seek to be studious but also down to earth. Uh, the Bible was not meant to be communicated uh, in obscure language. It was meant to be conveyed in common language, common everyday language that everybody can understand Someplace, isn't it, in, in, in the Bible, Mark 12, I believe it's um, around verse 37, it says that the common people heard Jesus gladly. So we want to be studious, certainly. We want to grow in the knowledge of our Lord, but we want to stay down to earth. We don't ever want to be puffed up uh, in our knowledge. It's very possible to become puffed up in our knowledge. Okay. So how can we be sure 
that we're not being puffed up as we seek to grow in knowledge of God. Let's make these suggestions. When we study the Bible, let's seek to discover. Let's, let's make sure that we know that we are discovering the mind of God. There's no greater revelation ever thought of, ever presented than the scriptures. This is the mind of God. And we need to remember that we are discovering with every truth that we learn, we're, we're, we are finding another way of understanding the mind of God. There's no other way of doing it. Now Paul's words in Ephesians 3, 3 and 4 are very important. He said, the gospel is like a mystery. A mystery. And you'll see that word there. A mystery. A mystery is something that was in former times unknown, but has now been revealed. And for us, that, that mystery is now being revealed in Scripture. The truth is God had been unfolding his plan of salvation ever since, really, before the foundation of the world. And now how blessed we are to live in this time where we have the New Testament and we see the complete will of God, the complete plan of salvation as it has been revealed in his son Jesus Christ. We have God to think over and over again that the scriptures have been preserved for us. So notice that word mystery there, but also notice the word revelation. Paul said he received this by revelation. The word revelation or the word reveal tucked in there means to take the top off of something. And if um, someone says that there is some good food back in the back, and you go back there and you're going to take the top off of that and you're going to discover how really good that is. And when we look into the Word of God, it is just that. It is discovering. And we are taking the top off. We're taking the lid off of so many wonderful various truths from God's Word. And so as we study, we will stay down to earth if we will look at it as a unique discovery every time we get in to the Word of God. And remember there in Ephesians 3... 3 and 4, Paul says that when you read, you will understand all of this. Now think about this. We have the complete availability and ability to know all that Paul knew about Christ in his time. We can know all of that in our day because of what was revealed to Paul. He wrote this down and he says, when you read, you can understand my mystery. You know, if that doesn't make you go home and thank the Lord for all the good things associated with the New Testament Scriptures, I don't know what would. We have, to, we have to keep our mind on these eternal matters. And so when we study, be sure to look at it as a unique discovery. But then also as we study, let's make sure that we're studying for our relationship with God. For our walk with God. Notice Paul's words in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Where he says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Or handling the right the word of truth. But notice he says, you, you do your very best. You study to show yourself approved unto who? 
Under God. Under God. This meek and quiet spirit that a lady is to have, according to 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, this is something that's not very valuable in the world, but in the sight of God. You notice those words there in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. In the sight of God, it is most precious. You see. Now, we are, when we study, we're not studying in order to show somebody else what we know. We're studying in order to try to draw close, closer to the Lord. If we do that, we will always be down to earth in our communication. And then be sure that when we study, we are trying to study in such a way to help uh, someone else. Here's a verse I discovered quite by accident, but I hadn't seen it in quite a while. John 10, if you want to look at it, John 10 at the end of the chapter. I was just, I was just, okay. Um, if you're wondering what my excited look looks like, this is it right here. Okay, this is it. Um, but I, I was uh, quite taken with, uh, look at John 10, verse 40, the end of the chapter. Jesus uh, had been in Judea. They tried to stone him, as we mentioned um, this morning. So it says in John 10, verse 40, He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. At first. And there he remained. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, is, is this saying that Jesus went back to the place where he was first baptized? If that's what that is saying, have you done that? Would it be helpful for you, if not in a physical way, in your mind, to go back to the day you were baptized? I can remember it, mine, easy, very clearly, vividly, and I'm sure you can too. But notice it further here. John 10, 41. And many came to him and they said, notice this. John did no sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him. Now notice how helpful John had been. John didn't come doing miracles. John came teaching. I can't think of a, of a better compliment to pay John the Baptist than this right here. Because of what John had said, everything they were admitting, everything John had said about Jesus was true, and many believed. Many believed. Let us so study that we're trying to help someone come to belief. That's what our whole purpose is here on this earth, to study in such a way to help someone else believe. Acts 14, it says, Paul came into a certain area and went into the synagogues, and he so spake that many believed. Acts 14, 1 and 2. I don't think we can go beyond that. And then we need to study in order to prepare. You never know, you never know when you'll be called upon to involve yourself in a religious discussion. We know that 1 Peter 3, 15 uh, says to sanctify Jesus in your hearts as Lord and be ready always to 
Give an answer to every man who asks of you concerning the reason of the hope that is in you and do it with meekness and fear. Do you remember the Gatlinburg fires a few years ago? Yvonne remembers it well. You were there. And if you want to Google this, there was a man right in the midst. His, his, his little house was between Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. Fire was all around him. His name is uh, David Loveland. David Loveland. All you have to do is Google David Loveland Gatlinburg fires and you'll see a story. I think he was a retired firefighter. He had, he had fought fires out at Yosemite for years. And in his latter years, he came and worked in the Great Smoky Mountain Forest. He was accustomed to fires and how to fight fires. And so ever since he had been retired and living there on that little ridge, every day, or every chance he got, he would clean the brush, the little dry bushes, the, the limbs that were just there, the leaves. He kept all of that in a, in a radius of about 100 yards or more. He kept all that clean away from his house. And when the fires did come, that made all the difference in the world. There were houses above him that burnt down to the foundation or houses below him that burned all the way down to the foundation. Now he was able to save his house. Now it was hard even on that night that the fires came if you read his story because even though the, the preparations he had been making really for years saved his house, there were some treacherous moments that night because of the wind. The wind together with the fire, were, was blowing leaves and tree limbs right close to his house. And all he had, the power was off. All he had really to fight it off was a leaf blower and a hose pipe. And somehow they were able to save their house, mainly because, mainly because uh, of the preparation that he had made ahead of time. And so we study in order to discover, we study in order to grow close to God, we study in order to help others, and we study in order to prepare to be ready when the Lord uh, would want us to be ready. And then, the last statement we will make in, in regard to balance, in regard to balance, is that a Christian will need to be thick skinned and yet at the same time tender hearted. This is not always easy to do. There's one preacher said that he was called a liar. And so they tried to discover why a lady was, tell, was saying that he was lying. And that finally discovered that in a sermon he had said the words in, con in conclusion twice at the end. And so therefore she said, when he said in conclusion first... He didn't do what he said he was going to do, so therefore he's a liar. Well, if we follow Jesus, then at times criticism is going to come uh, your way and our way. That's just the way it is. And so because others have gone through it who follow Christ, then we can 
anticipated. Back in the book of Jeremiah, we read how that they threw Jeremiah into a pit and left him there to die, Jeremiah 38. And we remember how pounded Moses was. You know, we remember reading a few Wednesday nights ago through the book of Numbers and seeing Numbers 14.4 and the people said, let us choose us another leader and let's go back to Egypt. So Moses was constantly pounded. And so one thing we can do is anticipate that and that will help us to be uh, tender-hearted if we can anticipate it. And another thing we can do is to stay in the Word. To stay in the Word. One thing Jeremiah did was he just constantly, when he was called upon to speak about coming judgment, he would always begin by saying, Thus says the Lord. Thus says, if, you, if you count the number of times he said, Thus said the Lord, it's, it's over 300 times. And so that's the way Jeremiah handled uh, some of the, the criticism that came his way. And then another thing we can do is to get to know Jesus in a better and better way because if anybody was ever persecuted, it was, of course, uh, the Lord. It was actually uh, prophesied, Isaiah 53, 1 through 3, says he would be despised and rejected of men. And so if it happens to him, and we're not greater than him, it's certainly going to happen to us. The, the, um, the servant is not greater than the master. The student is not greater than the teacher. If they do it to the teacher and master, they would do it unto us. And so we can anticipate it. We can get to know Jesus the funny thing about some of the criticism of Jesus was he was called the friend of sinners. They said it in such a way that for the crowd to understand that Jesus was eating with them because he liked what they were doing, but it was the very opposite. Okay, The very opposite. And that's the way some, most criticisms are in religion. The very criticism that's made ends up being the very opposite of what is said. Actually, Jesus was trying to help. He was trying to help them. He was trying to help them see uh, the error of their ways. He was, he was trying to... Um, but how can, you, how can you help someone if you can't uh, spend time uh, with them? And so this all ended up, if we stay in the Word, if we follow Jesus, and if we anticipate it, we will become uh, tenderhearted. You can read Jeremiah 9 and first few verses there in Jeremiah 9 and see how Jeremiah said, I wish... I wish my eyes were a fountain of tears so that I could weep for my people. I'm out of tears. I'm out of tears. And even though Jeremiah was often persecuted, uh, it did not take away the heart that he had. May we strive uh, to be in this way. We want to be balanced. We want to be balanced. In other words... We want to be the person deep down that you know, and I know, and we all know, that God would have us to be. God would have us to be. What is that man's name that used to be on TV years ago? Um, Linkletter? Was there a link? Linkletter. He said he was traveling uh, one time, and he, he came out into the hotel lobby, and he saw a few teenagers together and they were in a huddle and they were praying he got close enough to hear their prayers and he walked away ashamed he said I will be more devoted and by this time he was well into his 
60 plus years old, he said, in hearing those young folks pray and seeing their devotion out there in public in that hotel lobby, he said, I walked away ashamed and knowing that I should be more devoted. And he said this, he said, I felt like I had become a cardboard Christian. We don't want to be that way at all. That's why we strive to be what God would have us to be either way, down deep in our heart or in anything that we seek to do. And anything we seek to do, when we fail Him, we want to be quick to turn back to Him. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. What's that number, Aaron? 202. And as we sing this song of encouragement, we want to be sure that we're thinking this evening that we're all the family of God together. And the Lord wants us to be together and stick together through thick and thin. This is the kind of people he wants us to be. Before we sing, let's have a prayer together. Oh, Heavenly Father, look down upon us, we pray, in your tender mercy. Father, when we go astray, please, please forgive us. Father, help us to be strong as your people. Help us to reflect, Father, both your love and your light in this world. Help us, Father, to be patient. But help us to strive, Father, to, to grow and to be as much like you as we possibly can. Oh, Father, we know that none of this is possible without your great love and the sending of your Son to die for the sins of the world. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. And, Father, we are ashamed when we know that we have not lived up uh, to your standards. Look down upon us, Father, in your tender mercy and forgive us. And now, Father, as we sing this song of encouragement, help our family here to be strong and help us all to leave this place with a greater resolve to be all that you'd have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing at this time.